I'm your new interim rector, and I'm very pleased to be with you on this second Sunday of Lent. I look forward to getting to know each one of you, and I've already been warmly welcomed by your vestry and by the office administrator and staff, and also by many members of this congregation. I feel blessed to have been called to serve with you. The interim period is a unique time in church's history. It's a time to remember where we've been and where we're going. It's a time to reflect and examine, to celebrate and grieve, to appreciate and acknowledge, to accept and forgive, and finally to prepare for the next step in the life of a parish. It's a time also to gather together and to bring back those who may have stopped coming, to invite back those who've been gone for whatever reason. Today in the Christian year, our college for this Sunday reminds us that we're called to remember God's mercy, and especially the divine mercy extended to those who have gone astray. Not only those among us today, but also those who have strayed so far that most of us have given up on them. God invites them home with the promise of mercy that welcomes all of us back no matter how long we've been away or how far we have strayed. Our first lesson from Genesis stresses God's promise. It tells us of God's covenant with Abram. God told the patriarch that he would be the father of a great nation and a blessing to his descendants. And so Abram and Sarah left their own country and came to the new land. God told him that the land would be given to his descendants. But Abram and Sarah had no child, and the patriarch told God of his disappointment and concern. It's a very human thing to want to have a child, to take our place in the world, just as it's a very human thing to want to leave a legacy, a body of work, something we've lived for, that will live after us. Abram is afraid he will die with no child and no legacy. To Abram's astonishment, God told him to look to the heavens and number the stars, that his descendants would be as numerous. His belief that Abram did as he was asked and believed it would be so. And his belief was considered a virtue and a kind of righteousness because he continued to have faith under difficult circumstances, when many would have given up. It's often difficult to believe that God is still with us when things don't go as we had hoped, especially when they seem to go very far awry. <laughs> Yet we're called to walk by faith and trust that God is with us. Abram maintained a strong connection with God, questioning and arguing at times, but always engaged that engagement was his faith, his belief, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. I think this lesson speaks to this community in our life as a parish. Abraham stayed engaged, even when times were turbulent and unsure, trusting in God's promise when it seemed remote and distant. It's important to remember sometimes that faith alone is reckoned as righteousness. 
The psalm appointed for today, Psalm 27, speaks of confidence and trust in God despite serious and dangerous opposition. God's protection can be reliable no matter how strong the opposing forces may be. Mentioned are false witness and malice as well as actual harm. And yet the psalm affirms certitude in God's care. And we might also list more modern opposition, fear, anxiety, despair, weariness, exhaustion, forces over which God also prevails. I'm reminded of an impressive emblem of God's protection on the door of the great Norman Cathedral of Durham in the north of England. In the middle of a medieval ironclad door, there is an impressive bronze ring knocker known as the Sanctuary Knocker. It's in the shape of, the fa- of a face of a fearsome beast with a huge mane radiating around it, and in the jaws is a ring that had the power to save the life of someone in great trouble. All a person had to do was get to that door and put their hand on the ring of the knocker, and monks inside who regularly kept watch would admit the person and give them protection in the cathedral from an enemy, a mob, even an army, for a certain period of time. While the rules that permitted such sanctuary were abolished in the 17th century, a replica of the knocker remains as a reminder to trust in God's mercy. And in times of transition, to trust that God's church is a place of sanctuary, that will give us both courage and hope. Our New Testament lesson from Paul's letter to the Christians at Philippi is written to encourage those who are struggling to maintain their faith when under fire. Paul had good news for them and bad news for them. He began by instructing the people to imitate him. While this may seem somewhat pompous to contemporary ears, It was a kind of teaching practiced by Greek and Roman moral teachers, and it's still a valuable method of ethical instruction and spiritual formation. For example, Martin Luther King Jr. imitated Mahatma Gandhi in nonviolence and then showed how one human life can form and influence many, many others. That's the good news. Paul then went on to point out that many in the community had gone a negative route of self-indulgence, and in Paul's words, their God is their belly. For those of us who enjoy the good life of this region, the many different foods, and there are some, I'm sure, among us who might consider themselves foodies, um, that can seem like bad news, but it can also be helpful criticism. Uh, and lead us to reflect. Paul wanted his readers to step back and look at where they were going. He wanted Christians to appreciate the self-sacrificing love of Jesus and to follow that manner of life. In this passage, Paul strikes a clear Lenten theme as he urges us to transcend the pool of earthly pleasures and seek instead the deepened life of the Spirit. As we move in this time of interim, the themes and practices of Lent can help provide us with more clarity and insight for the tasks ahead. 
Our gospel reading from Luke situates us clearly in the journey of Jesus toward Jerusalem, a journey that we follow during Lent. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the political, intellectual, and religious hub of the Jews. It was the central place of his culture, the heart of civilization, the place of conversation and the commerce of ideas. It was also the place where Israel failed to live up to what it could be. It was where money and power, often Roman but also Jewish, not only talked but occasionally screamed. It was the place where the prophets, most recently John the Baptist, had been killed for the pleasure of a young woman's dance. It was not a safe place for one who, be, who spoke on behalf of God. The passage we heard this morning is sometimes called Jesus' lament over Jerusalem. Some have called it Jesus' weeping over Jerusalem. Jesus did indeed grieve for the poor and the absence of charity there, but even more for the deafness to the prophetic word of God. The death of John the Baptist affected Jesus profoundly. Let me take just a moment to clarify why it was that Jerusalem killed the prophets. In a word, they were a threat. The theologian Walter Brueggemann, in his book, The Prophetic Imagination, says this. The task of prophetic ministry is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. The task of the prophet was to shake up and challenge the status quo. Let me repeat it. The task of prophetic ministry is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. And the dominant culture, the status quo, doesn't want to change, doesn't like those who seek to evoke a consciousness that would make a change. It was Jesus' cousin John who had instituted the great initiating sacrament of the church, holy baptism, But it was also this same cousin John who had questioned Herod's marriage and provoked the anger of Herod's wife. Jesus saw clearly the writing on the wall. If they would kill John, he knew what they would do to him. But he also knew he must go there. In today's lesson, some of the Pharisees came to Jesus and warned him that Herod wanted to kill him. It's interesting that the Pharisees, who often challenged Jesus, sought to help him. Jesus responded by instructing the Pharisees to tell Herod what he was doing. Namely, he was healing those who came to him. Then he added, with a touch of gallows humor, that he must continue on because it would be wrong for a, parish, for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. In other words... Jerusalem's special purpose seemed to be the killing of prophets sent to her. And then Jesus changed his tone, and it became one of sorrow as he uttered his lament. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who are sent to you, 
How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus clearly longed to heal the city. He likened himself to a mother a mother hen who would gather all her young under her wings, but the people would not be gathered. Jerusalem was a place where hopes were kindled and then immediately snuffed out again. Jesus was grieving over what the city had become, but in the midst of the grief, there was a warning. He told the people their house was forsaken and they would no longer be sent prophets until they received those sent by God saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. However, it must be said, the recalcitrance and refusal of, of Jerusalem did not stop Jesus. He continued to live his life of sacrifice. The writer Frederick Beekner said this of sacrifice. To sacrifice something is to make it holy by giving it away for love. Jesus' lament over Jerusalem moved on toward his formal entry into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey amid crowds waving palms and saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And it went on further to supper in the upper room and Jesus' creation and first celebration of the great sacrament of our faith, the Holy Eucharist. But I'm getting ahead of the story. For now, it is enough for us to hear the gospel of Jesus lamenting over the ancient sins of the human race and sharing his great desire to heal and love us. That's the message for us this morning. In this interim time, as in all times, Jesus longs to gather us as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Let us trust him and be gathered. Amen.